0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man with a very confusing taste in music.
1: <laughs> I am the Adam Glass and uh listen, uh I really like ska punk and I'm offended <laughs> that you would call that confusing. I, I honestly speaking, I, am. I
0: probably have a more confusing taste in music than you do, but like just from our conversations, mine is more unclear than a lot of people i'm mostly making fun of the man who's in that record store asking for just the strangest ensemble of music you could ever imagine oh absolutely it's like what what is connecting these things you're buying here together like what like it was very it was a strange set of records he was trying to ask for
1: presumably it is a list of things people have recommended to him
0: probably uh I I feel like it's a it, more than anything in any Godard movie, it's probably a window into who he is as a person. It's just like, well, we'll make a list of records yeah. that this person's gonna ask for, and then everybody on set's like, what the fuck is this list?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 Godard, so like, there's probably some internal reason to each of them that I oh I'm sure don't really care about. No,
0: no, <laughs> but but so. certainly the man in the documentary will talk about at <laughs> length. Fuck's sake! <laughs> Jesus Christ! There are there up, are a bro. lot
1: of people. There are a lot of people who would really break them down for us. If oh we no, I'm sure to. they would. Oh um, man,
0: I I still have a headache from watching that that guy talk about that movie. This movie, for, the, I forget what his name is, but the 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 documentary, not like the interview with the film critic. Yeah. That's like 45 minutes long. That was the longest 45 minutes of my life. I zoned out 25 yeah. times. I oh my god. Just every little minor detail in the movie, like, what's the significance of this? And it's like, like, I get it. That's what you do to Godard films. But maybe, maybe you shouldn't. Jean Narboni is his name, by the way.
1: Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. It's a non-criterion film. Our supporters vote on what movie we're going to watch based on a list I put together each month. Usually the list is themed to four titles, and then the fifth option is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Chico Except for
0: one time, I think Kazam eight, was essentially 20. the theme. Because we had like the child wish fulfillment one, right? Yes, yes. The one, th- one exception. Am
1: qualified for the theme there, and there have been there's been at least one time where the list was bigger than five items because okay. I wanted to to cover a wider swath of things, uh, which wasn't a great idea because you just spread the vote too. Right, right. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, live and learn. Always, always moving forward. I guess it's yes, onward and <laughs> upward. Here we go. Yes, like I said, we do non-Criterion films over there, so you know we get a we get a, a you know at least a different set of movies. Uh, we get to watch things that the Criterion Collection uh, either would never think to put in, or absolutely should think to well, put in, and occasionally we watch things that the Criterion Collection did later. I mean, put it's only in, happened so. the one time.
0: I feel like I feel like this, That's is, right. it's a bit of an oversell. On That's our, right. On our on our, on our it is powers. an oversell,
1: but it's also. It's also I've I've I have described it poorly because also sometimes we watch things from the Eclipse collection because our purview for Lost and Criterion is spine numbered releases, right. so stuff in the Eclipse collection doesn't count. So we'll get an out. Yeah, a little taste of something that really like I don't
0: know what the Eclipse collection is supposed to be. It's like, well, this is good enough to be in the Criterion collection, but not have a spine number.
1: It's weird because it's weird the Eclipse collection really seems to be like stuff that should be in the Criterion collection, but we don't want to put the work into it to make it yeah. a full-bodied Criterion right. release. But on the other hand, we've had actual Criterion releases with no bonus Yeah, features. that are like, here's so a DVD I we know. picked up
0: at Walmart. Enjoy it, please.
1: Yeah, I really have no I idea know, what, the, what the actual
0: was. Maybe I, we probably, yeah. if we did some research, we, uh...
1: I don't know, Pat. We've been doing ten years of research, and we still can't tell what the Criterion Collection actually wants to be. Oh, I so, know.
0: We figured it out. Uh... We cracked the code. <laughs> right, It's just right, right, highly, right. It's just... <laughs> highly like profit-driven and right. nothing else. It's it is it is yes it is the facade <laughs> of presi- right. prestige for profit's sake. Is the iPhone of like... 100%. You are correct. We did figure it out. It's just sad. It makes us sad. That's the problem. We figured it out and it makes us sad. Yes,
1: so I don't like to think about it. (laughs) Anyway, that's all for a dollar. Uh, Like I said, users get to vote on the bonus episode. There's one a month. And uh, also, users often suggest bonus episodes or or themes or uh, particular movies to put on a list. And we gladly accept those. And we've had some really great... Fun with those because usually whoever suggests the movie, if we can work out the timing, ends up on that episode. and It's just really a lot of fun to talk
0: to people about a movie they love, hmm. and also usually their lists uh, are better than our list. If I'm being totally frank, <laughs> like not to, no no shade, uh, Adam, but they they just tend to make better lists. That's, than us.
1: That is that is fair, but also let's qualify. When Pat says our list, he means mine list. I don't do any Pat's work. never made. I a mean, list, every so, so
0: often <laughs> Adam sends uh, me a list and is like, "How do you think about this?" And my answer is exclusively, "Yeah, it sounds great." Yeah, there's no. I have no. I have no thoughts. I have no opinions. My brain is very helpful. Working Um,
1: that way. So we do have a couple other tiers, and the five dollar tier just for folks who uh, can afford to help keep us going a little more. We do like to thank those people on air, and thank you so much to our current five dollar supporters: Andrew Jarrett, Eric Coronado, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Chris Otto. A bit above that, Pat does actually do some work. (laughs) A lot of ten dollars above mark. Yeah. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month and mail that off with a personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. I also like to thank those folks on air. Thank you so much to Patrick Yago, Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, Nina Bojnack, and Jason Westhaver. Thank you very much. If you want to check out those postcards without committing to the $10 level, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost and Criterion there and you can find our past postcards available for purchase. And buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers, and occasionally as buttons or other things. But thank you so much to our uh, to our Patreon supporters, to everyone who's purchased anything from the Red Bubble store, and thank you all for listening. We're so grateful. Pat, what? This week we're talking about another early Godard film,
0: are we now? Did you know there's an infinite supply of those? <laughs>
1: It really, it really is a surprising. <laughs> it is right. Um, like every time uh, it
0: happens, I'm like. And the funny thing, this is the one that got me, is I was watching this one, and I was like, this reminds me of a film that we watched before, but it was in color. And then I was like, and I started typing in the like some like keywords, and I was like, oh shit, it's another Godard film. Fuck.
1: Oh yeah, it's definitely. It
0: reminds weird. me of that other one uh, in color about prostitutes in that neighbor that new sky rise and I like across the yes, river whatever. yes yes I forget the exact premise but I was like oh this reminds me a lot of that th- same theme I'm like looking and I'm like oh shit it's, another guitar film. it's just the same
1: right Pat's thinking of two or three things I know about yes. her and uh, which has a yeah, name I cannot uh, for the life of me remember like
0: I just I literally looked it up three hours ago Adam and I couldn't remember it when we were just talking yeah
1: it it comes from a similar place yeah. Uh, and we watched this.
0: I don't remember. It was like, like maybe about a year Within the last six months, but uh, it
1: wasn't that long ago. I, maybe it was that long ago. It's within the last year, but I'm not really sure how long ago it was because this project
0: is ever,
1: yeah, ever All consuming.
0: Uh, devours all time and space. Two or,
1: th- two or three things I know about her came out in 1967 and it's sort of right on the cusp of when Godard starts getting interesting for us. Right.
0: Uh, right. Well that's what yeah. I think that's what I think um, makes this one kind of interesting is that it's playing with ideas and themes that could like two or three things I know about her we we talked about a lot about its problems and it it was yeah. it was rife with them but we we also did comment on the fact that like Godard had started to play in the field of like on in the sort of field of like what we would think of as sort of um I don't, I don't like I don't know what you would call it, like, cultural awareness, like, not, like, pure pop culture, but, like, because up until, like, we, you know, much of our early Godard is just, like, him sort of, like, gesticulating at random, not random, but, like, his bits of pop culture. It's, like, a Godard reminds me of a much better cultured version of Quentin Tarantino, basically. (laughs) <laughs> like in, in his early years, like a yeah. lot of gestures towards things he likes that he thinks are interesting in pop culture, specifically a lot of times leaning towards American pop culture, right? Whereas right. two or three things I know about her is more about is more talking about society writ large rather than um, just pure pop culture, right? And which is something we do like as he gets more as he gets more cult- away, yes. he gets things get better this gesture set, a thing that happens again, like six or seven years later, and there's some intervening films, that we did not like at all, in between there, I'm pretty sure,
1: right, right, that we right, were like, right. these, these, these so are trash, it, <laughs>
0: these are not trash, but these are ones we do not like, you know, I think,
1: I think there's some stuff, to unpack there, um, this, it came out in, 62, uh, I think was when it, when it Yeah, 61, 62, um, and uh, Wikipedia says 62, but that doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> I have I have found Wikipedia occasionally to be a, a little bit off. Right. Um, so so whether it was five to, to seven years, um, one, yes, you are right to say that this is more like A Woman is a Woman. And A Woman is a Woman also uh, was sort of an ex-bose based on a news article about prostitution. Right. Uh, so so maybe kind of interesting that once a decade
0: well, yeah, uh, no, yeah. France I mean, has yeah, a media th-
1: sensation about the rise in prostitution right and <laughs> like if
0: two or three you know, with two or three things I know about you, I would say if I had to compare the two, it is a better look at that topic. Oh, I beca- like it. Because it, it yeah. has more awareness, right? Like as his awareness right. progresses and he becomes more more capable of viewing the humans behind these stories, he gets better better at it right like it, it just gets yeah. more yeah that awareness seems to help right like we're real we're still really close to uh sort of his air the the ones we have seen where he tends to have a very rough way of viewing women that is not particularly empathetic towards them as human beings yes and like this does have elements of that for sure like 100%. Yeah. And especially the male female like sort of relationship dynamic that we've seen in much later films of his that you're just like boy man like you probably should not be allowed to like m- I don't know have relationships like you seem like you might be yes not somebody that's a good yes. at having them.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Uh
1: so one of the other things you said um about everything all of his early stuff being so steeped in pop culture because he's making a lot of, and, and this is true of all of the cars, just cinema guys, right. Truffaut too. Um, once they, once they move from criticism to actual direction, uh, they're just rehashing all the stuff they really love. And, well, I mean, they're doing that's not to say
0: takes on it and stuff. They're doing that thing, right? right? right they right, right. They are commenting on it much like they did with, like, yeah. writing about it. But the thing is is that yeah. there's, there's a certain sort of shallowness to that kind of filmmaking, right? And that kind of storytelling when you, like, oh, I'm just going to comment on all the things I love and even some of the things I dislike to make a new work of art. It, it tends to be fairly <clears throat> derivative, right? Like.
1: Right. But, uh, okay. We'll we'll get into right, okay how Visa V references a lot of things. Right. But I do want to say that this film in particular is still a reference to American pop culture. Well, yeah, this is this is Godard making a Sam Fuller ripped from the headlines. I get
0: I get that. Uh, no, I yes I
1: yeah right. I mean. This yeah. is this is just like Shock Cord. This is Godard Shock Corridor. This is Godard's Yeah, I
0: yes, uh, yeah, I agree. version of Although that. Although I would say that because Godard's not good at that, it doesn't come off that. Because Godard <laughs> right, is kind right, of trash is... at that, he can't make Shock Corridor, and he makes this instead, which maybe by accident feels like a more empathetic form of storytelling.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Which I think one problem, one problem we have with with Sam Fuller is so often, uh, he believes he's being more empathetic than he comes off right. to, as to us, and and that's probably very much tinged by our most recent Sam Fuller, which was uh, White Dog, uh, right? Right? Yeah, was, yeah. 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 Uh, had a lot of issues with. Um but yeah. Well I mean uh, they,
0: they tend to those I mean if you compare something you talk about something like Shock Corridor or you talk about White Dogs tend to be very sensational, right? Like they're very sensational yes. filmmaking. Yes. And even if this is meant to be sensational, guess what Godard isn't good at? <laughs> <laughs> so it just doesn't feel that uh, way. Like you man. get to the um, and, and or maybe it's on purpose. I don't know. Who am I to say? Perhaps he's doing it on purpose because certainly the ending of this movie does not feels anticlimactic on purpose. Feels like it's yeah. showing you what would be a sensational think, f- scene in a normal film, and here looks like it's a stage play proposed by like high schoolers.
1: Like right. the the death scene right, in right, this right. movie is, that is, is, is high
0: school level acting. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, but maybe that's on purpose, right? Like maybe it's a commentary, right? I can buy yes. into
1: that. Oh, it's it's definitely on purpose because Godard is is always interested in the cinema right. and the moviness of movies. Right, and I right. get that, and and uh, our
0: and our friendly and, commentator commented on that, and and I yeah. bring that up because right, he also right, right, commented right, right. on the idea that you are very aware that that's a movie. But like, here's <laughs> right. the thing: much like a lot of other sort of the what is it? What's the principle about like sorry, like satire on the internet is indistinguishable from like real <laughs> thoughts. Or whatever it is, I yeah. forget what that 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 principle is.
1: Without a without a winky yeah, face,
0: and, yeah. and without yeah, without explicit uh, expression, that's also kind of true in movies, especially when they are meant to riff on other movies. Is that yeah? You can, you know, I mean, the guy who made uh, you know, like a, what's his name, Tommy Wiseau, has adopted the idea that he was joking all along, right? Perhaps yeah. I'm not saying this is true. I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Because it's funny to me. Perhaps Godard is just a very, very good spin man. And it's like, yes, all that garbage <laughs> was on purpose. One hundred percent. I I appreciate where
1: you're coming from, but I think I think one could more easily annotate a Godard film than, I don't know. than I mean, the room. It depends but, on
0: what your lens is, because you could absolutely one hundred percent use a Tommy Wiseau film as a as a look at what it means to be a narcissist. But like, I mean That's like I, I I am being facetious Okay, I, I want to be clear about this, but it's also worth you... noting. I think it is worth keeping in mind that, that, like, there's a very wishy-washy line that exists between those two things. Like, yes, I do believe that final you... scene is on purpose. I agree, but ha- is every single thing he does in here that are kind of hacky on purpose, or are some of them things he thinks are cool? And and because it's surrounded by other things that are meant to play. Play with those ideas; it becomes sort of indistinguishable. You know what I mean? That makes sense. I
1: know what you mean. I'm also stuck on an idea of uh, the room being. Tommy was so so obsessed with the idea of the auteur. Yeah, well, actually,
0: I think that's that he the, wants that to is make
1: the case, yeah, right? Like makes a yeah makes a Godardian attempt at
0: well, right, uh, and that and that's what I'm of, talking about. Well, is it like,
1: probably more of a. Probably more of a fellini
0: aspect I would of,
1: agree, of the 100%. Entour, but uh, yes.
0: And, and that's, it has to do with how sincere the thing is, trying to be that thing versus <laughs> comment on that thing, right? Yeah. But that's my point, is that's a very fine line that is very indistinct, very hard to make out. We we as a society have decided that, and partially because of all the things that Godard has said about his work, that that, that Godard yeah. is on one side of that line, and, for example, your Tom Mizeau is on the other side of that line by about 18,000 right. miles. but. But like right, might, right, I'm right. using him as a as a hyperbolic example to prove my my not very important point that like yes. I don't always a hundred percent one hundred percent buy Godard is is the perfect beautiful baby cinema cinema maker who like everything is planned so down to the deal there are no goofiness in this movies there all this shit is planned and it's all a commentary on X Y or Z right. I feel like that there's a lot of right. film commentators adding things into it at the end to be like, Oh, this is what this is about, this is what this is about, this is, this is, this is. that's my yeah. like the my yeah. not very popular opinion that I think about sometimes.
1: Now of course this is also Godard, uh in one of his clearest instances of wearing all of his influences on his right. sleeve. Well, and that's uh, uh,
0: that's what yeah. his early work is like, right? Like his earlier work is, right. is very right. I, you know, you can do it. Very much feels like Tarantino work, where you can like, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this.
1: No, that is actually very interesting because obviously Tarantino is making overt references. to I Godard know
0: it's a fucking in so much
1: of his weird ass onion. So it's it's yeah, it's this mirror of a <laughs> yeah. mirror, like, uh, you know the 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 hair here, the hair here is uh of our main character of Nana is uh, is something that is referenced in Pulp Fiction. Yes. But is it itself a reference to, uh, what was that name? Pandora's Box. Okay. That, uh, that German film we watched about the woman who falls into prostitution right. and ends in a bad end, that this is a plot reference to as well. Uh, we're calling attention to that with the hair, with the bob, but then Tarantino is just referencing Godard. He's not referencing Pandora's Box when he's doing doing that, right? Right. Uh, well, I mean, presumably, yeah. so it's, right? It's I mean, this... yeah, I,
0: yes, I'm 99 yeah. percent sure that's true. That may not be true, but I'm 99 percent sure that's true. Uh,
1: it's it's the the you know the uh, the image of the image of the right. image yeah. you know <laughs> on down the line, uh, yeah, um, but yes, what Godard yeah. is is wearing his references on his sleeve. He makes a calculator risk. I tweeted about this while I was watching Oh yeah, watching. No, I know, I saw that. He makes an incredibly yeah, calculated I was... risk. I, I about... saw that right before <laughs> I started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the movie is only 85 minutes long and he shows us two and a half minutes of Dreyer's... Uh, d'Arc, Passion yeah. of Joan of Arc. Uh, which is <laughs> incredible risk to show us to make two uh, two to 3% of your movie Uh a better movie I would rather watch. And, and the funny <laughs> thing
0: is, is what kills me is he's neither, I I don't know if he's the first, but he's certainly not the last person who does that thing, which is a, it almost never pays off. It's just basically, right. and like, again, honestly, again here, it doesn't pay off. In the sense that, like, I would still rather watch Dreyer's Joan of Arc than this movie. Just yeah. because the- uh, Dryer's Joan of Arc, which, speaking of which, is definitely on my list of movies we might want to go back to at some point, because I, I, mostly because my memory is so vague of it, and I don't think we gave it, it's due it's
1: it's due um, I think we were
0: in awe No, we were, but we were also very new to this and and didn't have all of our our chops behind us, right? Um, Right, But my point is, is like the scenes they show you are just so affecting and, like, it's not that this movie is... Yes. I do not think this movie is, especially on a Godard scale, bad. Um, But it's not as emotionally affecting as of Arc. Like, just yeah. not.
1: Well, it's, it's also the most overt that Godard gets in this movie of reminding us of the thing he's referencing. Right. right? Uh, because he's actually no, showing he's us showing the thing instead him. of just referencing it. But he plants those seeds and then... All of the little close ups against the blank white wall uh, in the in the penultimate scene as that guy is reading the Edgar Allan Poe oval portrait short right. story to her are, are overt right. references and, and to the, Joan in, right. in the in the cell. Right.
0: And they're not so, I mean and he yeah. does that multiple times throughout the movie. Like basically once right. he establishes that as some of his sort of language that he's gonna be using in the movie, he does that quite a bit. Basically anytime right. she's being person like persecuted essentially we get Uh,
1: it is yeah and it is a movie built on close right and and Uh, my only real
0: issue with that is is again this is not probably fair to any human being on earth he's just not as good at it as Dreyer is sorry like (laughs) i I don't know what to tell you like and again it's not a knock specifically on this movie or godard but it's just like man you put maybe the best close-ups ever in the history of a movie in your movie. Right, right, right. You right, are not right. going to be able to do that. Like I'm sorry, you're not drier. You're not even working with the right kind of film stock to make it look like that. It's never going to look like that. And I I know it's just an homage, but like boy, I mean like you can that's where it's really risky, right? Your homage can come become a sort of pale comparison very easily, right? Um yeah. 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 And and literally, I yeah, do need pale because he can't get off. He can't pull off the contrast the dryer has because it's. I think probably because it's the wrong kind of film. Honestly speaking,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, visually, Godard's definitely making going for a thing here yeah. too. That is, I mean, maybe, maybe in reference to dryer, but not really pulling it well, off. No, It's fairly uh, high. Maybe contrast, in reference to other things, but because it is. It's high contrast. It's it's one point three. It's uh you know, and it's black and white. And and this is at a time where obviously you know it's the early sixties. He obviously had the things available to him. But I mean, but it is also a time where he's
0: still making almost exclusively black and white. I think we've we've talked about this before. The other movies prior to this are black and white, aren't they? Isn't Breathless and A Woman Is a Woman? They're in black and white too, aren't they?
1: Breathless and A Woman Is a Woman are, I'm pretty sure, contempt. Uh, is is right around here too, and that's that's wide screen, right, right, cinema full that's color. Because
0: I I wonder, there might be like actual practical reasons why he's shooting in black and white. Like black and white stock is still way cheaper at this time than, than color. Right.
1: I, Contempt is also a movie about making movies, right? And uh, is is I'm pretty sure Contempt is the one that opens with. Uh, Jean Luc Cinema Goddard as <laughs> his as his credit. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Contempt is the one that like, I I remember. I, if, if this is a long time ago, but I remember disliking Contempt very deeply. But uh yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then Band of Outsiders is black and white too. Like what I mean is he goes back to the black and white whale, 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 right, 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 whale right, well, right, well, right, Well, you know the place where you get the water from, not the the animal that swims yes. in the sea. Um. Yes, quite a bit. And I think some of it probably at the beginning is may have been from from money things, but it also may just be like that's what he's making homages to things he watched when he was a little bit younger. And he watched while he was doing his film criticism. And like there's that tendency, right? Like, oh, if I'm going to make a bunch of if I'm going to make films about those films, they should like have a similar visual vibe. Right. So I'm going to make it right again. This is a thing that we see with somebody like Tarantino, right? Like trying to make films in a certain genre that are like meant to comment on a certain genre look like that genre because that makes it easier for people to pick up on. the. I assume partially because it makes it easier for people to pick up on the references when the thing like visually has the same feel. Right. Right. 100%. Yeah.
1: Um. Contempt is probably when we should we should add maybe to the yeah maybe
0: visit. I I don't know we have so many opportunities for very to, different reasons yeah, the genre we have so many but... opportunities to watch Goddard films If we've watched so many it sort of feels yeah. weird but at the same time maybe it would be appropriate you know actually probably any of the early Goddard films might be worth visiting because we did watch them a very long time ago um, yeah so.
1: Uh, one thing I like about this movie and this is this is true to uh to two or three things as well is that Godard maybe accidentally uh says something interesting in in his character's pursuit of prostitution um and with with two or three things I think We got into it that, uh, that despite what we're seeing on screen, or no, I think even we see it on screen right, uh, Godard's not, not too delusional, uh, but the men in the lives of the women in Two or Three Things I Know About Her frequently suggests that, uh, uh their middle-class lifestyle is something that they can afford and they don't understand how their wives can make, can make, can pay the bills. You know, they must be wonders well, of coupon. Right. Clipping right. We whatever. had a
0: long discussion uh, about whether or not yeah. they are sort of <laughs> blind or blind on purpose. And I think that is a thing that guitar yes, 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 is also, yes. we, we talked about guitar talking. He's about
1: commenting that, you know. on that. Right. Right. Whereas, whereas this, uh, he does purposefully, uh, we do see that, uh, Nana is uh, turns to prostitution out of material right. necessity, right? She is, she is kicked out of her apartment for failure to pay rent. Uh, her job does not pay her enough to maintain that, uh, that apartment. Uh, she is, I mean, presuming, presuming that she shares some sort of background with Anna Karina, uh, Kerna herself says that you know she she came to Paris with almost no money. She is not from France even, you know. So it's there's an immigrant aspect to this story, but also just with Paris, you know, it's Provincial women moving to Paris might as well be immigrants, right? Too. Right. <laughs> Internal migration. Well, is, and we know that
0: uh, Paris, Paris is a foreign country, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> as as all cities are basically, right. Like, what's yeah. interesting to me in this is that like they don't. It's it's fascinating to me how much they don't dig into her, how much Godard doesn't really play with or dig into her past at all. Like, yeah, she she is leaving her family, which which is like right. Godard. Kind of breezes through right, like we we do that opening scene is about that, but even then he doesn't use it to contextualize very much, so you're kind of still left with her as mostly a blank slate um a sort of she's still you know what I mean like she doesn't have a lot when we even after that first scene, we don't really know very much about her or her family or her relationship yes, and he's except for she's and he's very particularly young.
1: doing something in that first scene too, she's young, but that first scene is also shot. As if it's a close up, but it's the back of right. her head. So you know it's this idealistic thing that we can't really know her,
0: right? Yet right. Anyway, and and, and of so. course, but and what I what I think is interesting that like it's interesting that he doesn't play with this is, but uh, an important key understanding. If you were gonna make this movie again or something in the future, or something would be the idea that like she's like twenty three years old and she has a child and she's like the sort of like the situation that prompts her to leave that we are left it is left primarily to our imagination like about what right like she's obviously a very young parent right like yeah she is both a young, parent of a young child but also very young to be a parent right and it's very clear right. like that even in the very little amount of characterization we get there it's very clear that she is not happy to have fallen into that role at age 23 or whatever um yeah which is Which is
1: where the over arc of the plot of this does not feel great to me. Yeah, Uh, in that, in that you know, our establishing scene is her leaving her husband, and our final scene is her being murdered on the street by her boyfriend so that he can escape gangsters. Uh, That suggests a cause and effect. That uh, ignores the material conditions agree, that the middle of the film, which talks I assumed about. we were going to spend uh,
0: <laughs> most of this podcast talking about, it, is that Godard has not yes. come to terms with, like he 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 makes note of it in the film, just by by the fact yeah. that you would have you'd have, you'd almost be impossible to not right to have to right. to like, but he doesn't seem to have any analysis at hand for it at all. It's just sort of like and in in fact actually he denies analysis essentially by by having her very explicitly quite close to the end discuss the idea at least at past the halfway point discuss the idea that no everything i did is my choice like there's no like which which basically is a is a direct refutal of the idea that society plays some sort of role in your in your inevitable right. immiseration and downfall they're like no these are all my choices and you know, I mean, that's obviously wrong, right? Like, obviously, Godard is right. wrong. It is, and eventually, he well, seems to is, realize much later on that he was wrong. Yeah,
1: right, right. And there's that aspect of it, and I really, I don't know. We've we've spent so much time in our talking about Godard, uh, perhaps not showing Godard grace uh, because he very rarely deserves yeah. it. Uh, but that's what Grace is, right? Uh, you don't deserve it. Uh, but anyway, um, there is, I suppose, a reading that because we have seen all of the different ways that she is just reacting mm-hmm. and to forces outside of herself that are pushing her further and further into this life, uh, the fact that beyond the halfway point we get her talking about how... Everything boils down to personal responsibility. Uh, is maybe a, a hint of irony? I mean, I hope. Okay, but also maybe it's not. It's very possible, <laughs> so. right?
0: Like it, it is very possible. There is a world where you're extremely generous to Godard and and readings of him, and say, "Oh, you're commenting on the fact that she's brainwashed into believing that it's all personal responsibility to fight the despite the fact that, like, really, it's just not, like, straight up not." Um, but right. I basically because we know the arc of Godard's work, we can kind of almost certify that that's not the case. This is prior to Goddard being sort of having the truth of the actual systems that which he's sort of playing in being revealed to him. You know what I mean? <laughs> to a certain extent, right? Like where we predate him coming to terms with the fact that like his characters are like when they're this real are the results of a system that is sort of beyond their 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 control. Um yeah, I, I, yeah, but like I mean, yeah, we could definitely read it in a very positive light. Like you could definitely read it that way and it you, you could definitely pull it off too. Like you could like you can yeah. make that argument and there's not really any proof that that's wrong except for seemingly Goddard realizing that he's that <laughs> at some point, right. right?
1: I've probably said this explicitly about Goddard before. But there's a there's a Borges quote that's essentially um, you know I talking about being the sum of all of your influences. I'm I'm every book I've ever read, every mm-hmm. every movie I've ever watched, every woman I've ever loved. Uh, and part of part of my issue with this movie is that even the philosophy in this movie is just a bunch of strung together. References, right? Yes, yeah. That, that, uh, you know, in in later times with Godard, at least those references would be in conversation with one another. Yeah, but here they don't even necessarily seem to be that way. Um, and maybe it's just that I'm not familiar enough with what
0: he's referencing. Right. My my interpret, I did have a fairly generous interpretation of that, which is given the nature of the person we're talking about, and then the people she's interacting with, there's a certain sort of um, disheveledness to her existence. And so like all her philosophical sort of inquiries being somewhat disheveled and and disorganized tracks sort of in line with, with with her life and like the things that are happening to her, right? Like she's... To a certain extent, she's not even in control of this philosophical conversation she's having, right? Like it's also right. a sort of runaway train at this point. Um, right, right, right. One hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Um, even even when she starts talking with the actual philosopher, exactly. That's, yeah, right? yeah, uh, yeah. Not just not just her conversation with her friend about everything being what it is and being
0: responsible for. To me, that I, to me actions. that's the one that that really annoyed me in this movie because it yep. does feel the most like a sort of a thesis statement from Guitard for the film, right? Like, right. Because she addresses the where it very exists specifically. in the movie. Yeah, it's after the halfway point. It is setting up the end of the movie, and it's making a very clear yeah. statement. Um, we may be supposed to understand that she's wrong, but. The movie doesn't really give you the impression that you're supposed to read her reading as wrong. Just that she's making bad choices. She knows she's making bad choices and that like those bad choices will end in her death. Is I think what all we're supposed to take away from. It. I don't think we're supposed to read it any deeper than that, right? Um
1: yeah. Well, okay. Well, so okay. so I,
0: we... I I know I kind of know what you're going to say, but yeah, go ahead.
1: <laughs> Maybe it
0: you know what i should be about to say but it
1: probably won't be what i'm actually going to say uh (laughs) so so there's obviously there is also with godard the the moviness of the movie always so she wants to be a film star right and has in fact been in uh she was in a uh, she explicitly mentions a play she was in and a film she was in with eddie constantine um which uh which she eventually names as a a fiction a fictional film called Pity No Pity. Uh but she actually had been in a film with Eddie Constantine, uh Anna Karina had, uh, that we've seen. Um she would later be in Alphaville, which is a few years after this, and another example of a one point three three black and white Godard film, uh, after contempt. Uh but um but the movie, the movie she was in with Eddie Constantine prior to this is the uh, silent film that Godard shot as the film within the film of Cleo from 5 to 7. Oh, okay. The movie Cleo Goes to See. Yeah. Uh, she and Eddie Constantine are both in that. Um, anyway. Uh, so she's talking about being a film star. Then she talks about things are as they are. Uh, then she has the conversation with the philosopher. Then we get the scene of the boyfriend. Uh, well, okay. Reading reading okay. that post short story where the post short story is really the point of the post short story is uh, the artist's the artist's inability to tell the difference between art and reality, right? right. So maybe there is a philosophical conversation going on between the different influences that—that that is, I don't know. God, I think at this point for me, Godard has a tendency to, and I I do this plenty myself, uh, but to uh, use reference in place of uh, critique. Uh, in place of conversation. Yeah, in, no, I get, uh, yeah, I get what you In place you're of deeper analysis, yeah. I, mean, I guess is what I'm you're, trying well, to say Well,
0: it's essentially like um, a sort of a shorthand, right? Like, oh, this analysis has already right. happened, so here's the, where this analysis exists, which is fine, but also leaves work a bit hollow, right? Because you're not actually, like, laying yeah. out your, your your own theses there. Um, one thing I would yeah. like to point out... And oh, go ahead. I was going to say, just to that
1: end, it's also interesting that this is a movie divided into 12 sections, and that the the reading of the post short story and her death uh, would easily have been separate sections, but are in fact the same one. Right, right, in the right. The way the film well, is
0: a, a leads to b, right? Like it is a it is a cause right. and effect. And the thing that it sort of exists that where the my understanding of the sections is that they each sort of represent their own sort of while they are in conversation with each other, they do represent their sort of own unique frames of time and action. Where like the cause yes. and effects. While of course it spans across them, there tends to be an A follows B in each one where like there's a cause and effect inside of each one and that they're sort of separated yeah. by some gap in time. Um, I mean, she is her pimp tries to sell her and is shot because she tries to leave him to join this man that she met that she actually cares about. Like right, there's a direct right, cause right, and effect. Right, right. Um like she is dead because not because she is dead because she wanted to stop being a prostitute. Like that's what it all amounts to. Right. Um, she's so like, I mean, my, the thing I wanted to comment, sorry, we can go back to, to that as a point, because that is a very important part of the movie. But, um, two points that I wanted to bring up, or one point I wanted to bring up was I was talking about like that statement she makes essentially to the camera being a sort of philosophical, like sort of statement about the film. Um, it is worth noting that that happens directly before she makes the decision to agree to work with this pimp prior to that. She yes. had been working sort of independently and, and was still pretty committed to the seems seemingly still committed to the idea of becoming an actress and like working as an actress. And that, that re- right. represents a, a very clear inflection point where like money, she has to make money to, to live. And, and she makes a deci- quote unquote, a decision to start working with this guy. And that, ultimately like that is where from from that point on the train is is off the rails right like that is where all control is is lost and i think very clearly godard is framing the next decision that she will make as the bad decision that is is hers and hers alone now mind you we, you, and I both have the sort of depth of awareness to understand that that was there was no real decision available to her. Like she didn't make right. a choice in the in the terms of make a of making a choice, right? There's that that old idea of like, are you ever free in a system where like they'll let you die if you ever stop working, right? Like you're what, what free what, what freedom do you have if you if, if the system will absolutely let you just die on the street, right? Like uh, you you have to keep working, and and she. Makes a choice that isn't really a choice, right? Um, but Godard right. is, I think, pretty clearly calling that a choice. And I suppose because we kind of know at this time Godard's relationship with the idea of man and woman's relationship with each other, Godard sees another alternative, which is she could go back to her husband, I suppose, or something like that. Like, like, right. in I we've we've seen multiple times throughout Godard's sort of body of works that the godard harbors very pretty pretty traditional views of the of the sort of male female dynamic right like um many of his movies feature the idea that like there is a sort did of you, rightful place for these th- these two
1: people right did you watch the bonus ed- interview uh, or the bonus feature that was a nineteen sixty interview with Karina. I wanted
0: to, but I really after the forty five minutes it's, of that guy talking about this movie, I was like, I'm done. It is
1: it is okay that you didn't, but there is a very incredibly pertinent piece of information okay, cool. in it. Please tell that me that I did not know yet. Uh, so I think we have talked previously with, with Godard's Love Life in General and with Karina in particular we talked that uh, he has a tendency to uh, be in love with his leading lady. Right, yes. Yeah. Uh, usually in making a movie with, with a woman he is already dating, but occasionally with something like uh, two or three things, uh, attempting to date uh, <laughs> the, the right. lead. Uh, Karina had been in at least one film other than... The bit in Clio, there was uh, Le Petit Soldat, which we haven't seen yet, right. which which Karina stars in, which is apparently more of an overtly political film that maybe as an early 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 Godard political film, maybe we we do do need. Yeah, to dive I mean, into but that. I assume it's, sure it's in the, the collection, collection at some point, right? <laughs> like somewhere, yeah. Which right. means
0: like we can yeah. never jump the, we can never jump off right the, right. the path,
1: right. yeah. Yeah, that's that's the criterion's fault for not showing it to us yet. But uh but they met uh the insistence is that they met because uh Godard had seen her in I think a commercial. Okay. Uh and and reached out. Um however, uh there was a persistent denigrating rumor on Anna Karina. Uh, that they had met, that she found her husband through an ad. Uh, and while it is probably not true, at least she Wait, says so. So that, that she had not found true.
0: Godard through an ad?
1: Yes. The ad was not her ad, the ad was Godard's ad. Godard made an ad that said, uh, director Jean Luc Godard seeks young woman 18 to 27 to be his leading lady and soulmate huh uh and he put that out before uh in looking for the leading lady for the piece so, uh, so that uh, the little soldier um and they coincidentally met at the same time but he made that ad when he was about 30 years old right uh Asking for a young woman, eighteen to twenty-seven, uh, and he finds eighteen or nineteen-year-old Anna Karina yeah. here. Right. Um, so, on the one hand, uh, how different would Gogard's career have been if if a twenty-seven-year-old had responded to the ad? Well, let's um, if we're
0: being and, completely honest here. If I if I'm being brutally honest about the nature <laughs> of these sorts of men no 27 year old would have ever actually been able to fulfill what Goddard was right, looking right, for right right, right 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 Godard right was looking for yes, 18 and 19 year olds let's be very <laughs> yes i'm i'm not right. going to slander him by saying that he, he put re- the upward he was... limit on it yeah he he wanted he was being uh I don't know what the word you would use for that is he was he was trying to appear far more sort of uh open-minded than he actually acceptable yes, than yes. he actually was. I'm desperate I'm definitely yeah. certain of that. Like I can I I would bet you every dime I've ever made my entire life on that because he fits the sort of profile of that kind of guy to a T and he does yes. throughout almost his entire career.
1: And and we know that the relationships he had after Anna Karina mm-hmm. were uh similarly uh aged. Yes. Uh, at, or at least the woman was. Not the not the difference. The difference kept getting bigger, it turns out, because Yeah, uh, I mean, he's
0: not aged, even the sort that kept but, the that uh, kept the difference the same but like you know, like oh, well. Yeah. There's there's a 20-year gap between me and all of my my future yeah. wife, all of my wives, but like she keep, no, it yes. just it just keeps expanding. He's just one of those dudes. Yeah.
1: This was the smallest gap at under 15 years. Uh That's good for him. Yeah. No, I don't actually know that that's true. I I haven't looked. At I, the, I mean, it's the, only. The I mean, it's
0: really only. I mean, he only got married twice. I mean, he he had many, many, many affairs. That's yes. my understanding. But like, you are only going to find he, two official ones on the on the page because he only actually got married twice. Um, but she was born in nineteen forty-seven, right. the second one. So there is a yes. seventeen-year gap, which is about comp- How far was he away from? In a career, how old did you say he was thirty? No, he was thirty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they would, they would have been, been about twelve, like, years, it have been have been 12 like years. Twelve Well, li- the gap gets a little bit bigger it, it, within the ma- within the sphere of marriage. Yeah. Not, not. Yes. We don't. I mean, like we we don't have time to dig through every every rumored affair. Like we just don't. We don't have the time for that. We don't we don't want to We don't to want to, either. we don't have the time Let's, for that. I have no desire to do that. I, I I frankly just at this point we've we've said so much about Kadar with regards to this kind of yes. stuff over the years.
1: And we will uh you know, we'll eventually watch Le Chinois and have a chance to really dig into uh his early relationship with uh with his second wife, Anna Wazemski. Uh so you know, we'll we'll have that for us. <laughs> coming. We don't need to talk about it now. Uh but yeah. Yeah, he he took out this ad and uh, and Karina was actually very uh she took offense understandably to when I uh, to to rumors that she had found her husband through an ad or that she had answered this right, ad Right.
0: That, well, that's a very um, understandable. I mean, well, that's the thing, right? Is that like by nature of these sorts of things, right? What should be purely a slander on him? Turns into a slander right. on her because that's welcome to the world we live in uh, where it's always going to reflect back on her and really end up being treated as a commentary on her rather than a comment. Like, I mean, all you really know need to know about the whole thing is Godard took out this, this fucked up ad. Like, it doesn't... Right. Whether or not she responded to it or not it doesn't really matter at all. But, you know, that's just not the world we live in. So it was turned right. into slander about her. More than anything, right?
1: Yeah. Um, you did watch the big, long one of Jean Narbonne. I mean, I did my best. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is pretty easy to zone out in that oh, one, yeah. but I wonder if you saw my favorite line okay, from I it. Tell.
0: I did rewind a lot. I did give myself—I uh, tried to, like, yeah. fill in the gaps when I zoned out, but, like, sometimes I realize, like, I haven't paid attention for five minutes. I don't know what just happened.
1: Yes, uh, one of my favorite things he says is uh, is uh, it's the only time he makes a statement. Obviously, this is like a this is an essay, right? Sort yeah. of thing. You know, every everything he says is his opinion. But one of the few times he actually forms a statement as I think, uh, he says, "I really don't think Godard is the type to do deep research."
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I, yeah. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Which is which is so obviously true, and I love it that he said it. Um, But uh, one thing he sort of gets uh, gets into in the back half of of that, uh, he's talking about this movie as Rossellini esque. Yeah, I saw being the borderline, yeah, yeah, in being the borderline between documentary and fiction is, I think, the terms he uses. Uh, which, you know, we've spent the last three weeks talking about yes. that, particularly. So well, we don't, I mean, and, we then, don't we, need and to then, really then about dig three weeks
0: it. before that, because we, we did that Rossellini box set not that long ago. Either, right, 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 like right, really, right, right. I feel like my ma- brain right, is completely right. melted on this subject. <laughs> I will point out that Godard does not ever give me that problem, right? Like Godard's films no, never feel no, like documentary, is, that is not the
1: problem. <laughs> that is not the problem. Godard. Gives I get. I get what that guy about. is talking about.
0: I understand what yeah. he's going, what he's, what he's trying to point out. But like because of Godard's love of the cinema writ large, yeah, his films feel very affect, like affected, rather than like they have. Right, they never right. feel Always. authentic. Always. Like, in that way.
1: Yeah. Now there is there is and we did talk about Godard uh during the uh Pedro Costa set because there are the times I think it's a woman as a woman where Godard is ostensibly doing ethnography right uh and then at at times is also feeding lines directly into his actress's right. ear to say uh but also melding that with the times he Ask them a question in the earpiece and ask them to respond to the question instead. So you know he's 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 leading uh, his ethnography sometimes much more overtly than others. Right. Uh, but you know what? Uh, a woman is a woman it's is not in really color. Ethnography.
0: Why did I think a woman as a woman yes. is in black and white? Sorry, I just looked. I, I just I, went and looked up picture. I do not know why I thought yeah, this was in
1: black I, and white. I don't know. I re- I remember it in black and white, too. So, you know, uh, we might be confusing it with something else. I mean, with something else. so many Godard films. Uh, um,
0: well, but, yeah, yeah no, I, even, I get what you're saying. And, like, I, I, I can see the point you're making. And, like, I, I, I agree. Like, I mean, like, I understand what our commentators talking about. I understand what you're. It's just that, like, even in that case, you never, ever get the impression that anything Godard is putting on screen is real. Right, right, it just right. never and feels even,
1: real. Even the Sam Fullerness of this ripped from the headlines thing is not ethnography. Right. Fuller is never doing ethnography. Uh, never pretends he's doing ethnography and Godard referencing Fuller is not do-
0: <laughs> trying right. and, to and, do ethnography and Rus- either. And Rossellini's thing is like really even with Rossellini like it's it's it only feels real in as far as it's talking about like a real time in history, basically it, it like right, Rossellini stuff right, doesn't right. feel
1: Rosa- real.
0: It's just, except for in the fact yeah, that like, it's also sometimes, especially with the first one, he's so poor that like, right. That like almost reality just impinges on the work so hard that you can't avoid it. Right.
1: Right. And what we talked about with the Rossellini box set was that, uh, Rossellini more than maybe any other director we've talked about, uh, his relationship to realism. No matter how how he eventually started talking about it, at the start, his relation to realism was purely out of yeah, material it was purely, necessity. Yeah,
0: purely, purely material necessity. Uh, and really, we see, a, and we talked about this before, right? This is all rehashing of territory. But yeah. like, as he gets more money to do his thing, the reality, the realism, just kind of goes down the toilet, right? It just it right, ex- right, it, right. it it exits stage left almost immediately and gets replaced with with sort of film drama, right?
1: Yeah, and and artifacts of
0: like really weird yeah. levels of artifice, like just shipping random people <laughs> right. around the world, like around Italy to just like right, right. I'm gonna film this monk in this town. It's nothing. To, it's the most ridiculous yeah. artifice you could ever imagine.
1: Yeah. All of Germany Year Zero's interiors being shot in Rome, yeah, exactly uh, with with non professional actors from Berlin it's, is just, such weird
0: choices, just wild ass such choices, a level,
1: a level of weirdness yeah. that I I can't get beyond. Uh, but but Godard here, obviously, in as much as he is referencing neorealism in style, referencing even documentary in visual style here, uh, and and oh. We've got overt references to Dreyer. We've got maybe some some uh, less overt references to sort of Bresson-esque things going on here too. Um, but all in all, Godard's making a movie. Yeah, and, he knows and, he's making and, and a movie. really, and very specifically,
0: and, wants to make a movie. Like right, that's right, right, seems to be the only thing that he really, truly, like cares yeah. about the most, which is like making a movie, right.
1: And and even the main character of his movie wants to be making movies, so you know it's not. It's neither the first nor the last time that would be the case. Yeah, yes, Karina is not non professional. Uh, This isn't even her first film with Godard, let alone not even her first film. Um, uh, Plus, she had that one with Eddie Constantine, she keeps referencing. So, uh, yeah, it's there is no feeling to me like like I think it was Wikipedia said that it's shot in the style of cinema Verratus, which is not,
0: not maybe tr- I just don't just understand what true, cinema Verratus is but
1: also just doesn't feel true well see that's yeah. the thing
0: is like I'm starting I'm I, as we have gone on I am becoming more and more convinced that n- a thing that I, I'm going to say something stupid that we all know is true but like I don't think there's anything no such thing as any of the things we talk about I don't think they exist. I don't think they're real. <laughs> no, because like I I like for example, if I go digging back into like neorealism, right? Like identify for me some neorealist films and you it's kind of feels like it turns out to be a very short list before the thing goes off the rails, right? It's like a few, there's some ones that like we can very specifically name. One of them is based exclusively on material conditions, very clearly, because the director abandoned (laughs) it almost immediately as soon as he's got money. Um, Yes. I mean, there's things like, I mean, like, you know, the actual Wikipedia page, for example, names things like, um, you know, bicycle thieves, which, I I agree. It feels. But then, like, when I start to reflect, it's like, yeah, but there's still a lot of artifice built into this thing, right? Like, so it's like, it becomes very, like, I find myself having a harder and harder time to actually like mentally define what anything actually is. Because when I start to try to name things that are like that, they all have caveats associated. There's no pure right, pure right. version of any of the things that we talk about, right? It's like, well, yeah. it's in the style of cinema virate. Like, name me the pure version of that. I can't, what is a dog? I don't know. Right. It's like, yeah. of course, words mean nothing. There's no we such know thing that, as a fish, but, man. Yeah it's, yeah, it's, I mean, like, we all know that words mean nothing, but like, f- neorealism has fucking year- Germany Year Zero on its list of like examples. Right. My butthole, that's like cinema variety or neorealism of any sort.
1: Yeah. A movie where they literally ship the cast halfway across Yeah, the I mean, exactly. Uh,
0: and like, and does yeah. not, mind you, feel real at all when you're watching it. Right. In no way are you like, and then, by the time you get off to what get up to what we've talked about as being kind of like what you could almost call true cinema cinemarate when you deal with like somebody like Costa or somebody like that, that's not even being called neoreal. <laughs> it's like well, that's something else, right? That's right. And it's like, "Ah, oh, my brain's going to explode. Words are and of course, we all know words are meaningless, right? but like, they're used so confidently in matters of cinema and art, it feels like. Things are categorized so confidently that it feels like I'm being lied to. (laughs) Like somebody's trying to trick me into thinking that things don't exist. Things that exist don't... Things exist that don't exist. I don't know. It's just... Yeah. Oh, wow. That's,
1: I think, where... Where the references... Well, I mean, not just overt references. It's a reference in the same way that... Uh, the, you know, Joan of Arc was a reference in this movie. Uh, the oval portrait stuff does does maybe get interesting to looking at Godard's artistic meaning. Uh, that is a story. You know, I already said the the theme is is about you know not being able to tell the difference between art and reality, right? Right. But but the way that happens in the in the story one that has its own artifice it is uh a man is in an art gallery and uh it's it's dark and he he i think he moves to write something down and because he's trying to write something down he lights a lights a candle and sees a new painting he hadn't noticed yet Uh, and that is a painting of a young woman that is so striking he immediately is completely enamored with it and then we get the story of how that painting came to be. So there's already this like framing thing right. within I mean, the Edgar right, Allan Poe yeah. story.
0: But like also uh, like but I this... don't get the impression that Edgar Allan Poe was ever, like I'm I'm not an Edgar Allan Poe scholar. I could be completely wrong, but I've never pictured him as somebody particularly worried about the nature of like at least not concerned with having too much artifice in his storytelling. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Alan
1: Poe, the guy who invented the monkey did it. Right, so, exactly. like that's what uh, I'm saying. It's
0: like this is a person who's totally uh, willing to accept like, hey, there's gonna be some weird ass framing shit in this to make this all work. You're gonna go with it because it's gonna be very interesting.
1: Yeah. Um but anyway, the the nature of how that painting came to be within the story then is that an older artist marries a very young woman who uh wants to please him. Uh, and uh, and is uh, sick. and he has her sit for a portrait, and he is so intent on capturing the realism of her of her true beauty that she dies in the chair and he doesn't notice for weeks because he is still painting.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, again, uh, a person not concerned with the <laughs> artifice of his work. <laughs> right.
1: Right, right. So, so yeah. Um, so that being the last right overt yeah. quote in the movie. So we, you know, the the difference here between references and quotes. We've got two quotes in the movie. One is visual and is a silent film, and one is pure text. Uh, which is itself an interesting dichotomy. Right. What's well, interesting? We, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. And. And we'd get the references to the silent film, the visuals during the reading of that text too, as we keep cutting to her face against the white wall. Uh, And, and, you know, slightly out of, out of frame, which is one thing, you know, I love about (laughs) passion of Jonah park is, is how often just the frame cuts across someone's nose. So it's just the eyes of the people accusing her that we're seeing or something like that. Um, It's a movie obsessed with eyes. Uh, and, and not in the the Shian Andalou sort of way, right. <laughs> which is good. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. Well, so, well, and that's so Godard's making the quotes are a different thing. And of course, we've got the the philosopher who is an active philosopher, who he has to be in the movie, who is also you know quoting his own commentaries on these other people he's talking about. So. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, I mean,
0: there's a lot. Of, I mean, like, yeah, and the, but the thing is, is that in many ways, right? The two. What I find interesting is that you you bring up the idea that the two essentially like direct quotes are pairs, right? That they're a pair, right? Yeah. Be, and and Godard puts it out there, right? Like you said, there's the, the um, there's direct references to the to Joan of Arc during the reading of the poem, well, of the of the short story, but um, yeah. My issue is that they to me and this is i'm i'm bad at extra textual reading as we all know they don't feel like those two quotes those two things are actually in conversation with each other because to me the Joan of arc thing oh i don't think they right, are right and that's confusing right so to me yeah joan of arc seems like a commentary on the movie right it sets up the framing of essentially this woman's story right it you know right it, it it's it is a it is a it's trying to make you see her as sort of like this a series of prosecutions by society and things like that, right? Um but like that quote and that stuff about um From Allen Poe is more like Godard commenting on his own work, on the artifice of work of of, of of art and things like that and how he's sort of like trapped this woman for all time in this in this film and stuff like that, right? It's Godard playing with the idea yeah. of like film critique, right? And those don't right. actually have a conversation with each other they're just both in the movie but they are
1: maybe kind of poles because Joan of Arc is about a woman who uh is killed by the society she's in right and trying to function in right who, who believes who believes that she is doing the work of God that she is on a divine mission uh and uh and the men in power around her refused to allow that to be right. true uh the short story is about a woman who is only acted upon but not really necessarily acted upon so much as pedestaled right, right? and I, and I and turned I, into and, and I
0: get that but yeah. I but I suppose my my takeaway from it though honestly though is that I know we, we waffle between the idea of whether or not yeah. we respect the artist's intentions or not in, in work. Joan of Arc is very much what the thing we just talked about is. And right. and and you're not wrong that Edgar Allan Poe's work is, I've never read it, but like it sounds to me from every, everything I've heard about it, is about the thing you just talked about, but it's not really a commentary that, it doesn't sound like it's very much of a commentary on, on gender roles or something like that or like, as much as as a comment about like the no the, I think it is or is it the like about the about art we can
1: we can read into that story things we know about Edgar Allan Poe's life in that it is a a thinly thinly veiled reference to his own obsession with beauty that does not respect age uh
0: right, right, but that's what i'm saying that's so, a that's a that yeah. that is an artistic obsession right. <laughs> Right. And so like right. by referencing Which, that, Goddard has to be referencing a thing that is common to right. like art rather than Yeah.
1: Well that is that is a a a thing that Godard shares with Poe. Uh, Godard did not end up marrying his thirteen year old cousin, thank you, thankfully. Right. But uh <laughs> but but this obsession with with uh youngness as beauty is something that we can see in Goddard as well, I think. Um he does not go quite as young, thankfully uh but it still exists um and you know uh her the Joan of Arc stuff starts at the 15 minute mark of the movie right it is that early uh and obviously the the uh I don't have exact timings but we only really have one scene after it and that scene is maybe five minutes long so the the book reading stuff should start about ten minutes before the end. Of the I movie. mean, if that because um, because
0: basically we cut yeah. immediately from that to her being dragged off and, right and and right. And, her, right. and the like end of the story. Yeah, and that whole sequence is very short. Um,
1: yeah, so so if those they're not exactly parallel, but this is not a movie that is set up as a mirror of it. Right. I mean, he's so, not. Yeah, he's you know. not trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right um so there's also they sort of exist uh across the center mm-hmm. where the center is that conversation she has with her friend about personal responsibility right. and and everything is my fault where we get these two the first one is about society murdering a woman uh for for being what she claims to be and the second one is about uh an artist allowing a woman to die because he's so obsessed with what he believes her to be.
0: But who is that? Uh, like who's the artist that's so obsessed with her beauty that he allows her to die? Right. Right. There's it's no, not something there's something no that person, that exists right? In the the movie, pimp is not which is really, motivated yeah. by her beauty. The pimp is motivated by no. greed. Uh, right. And, and her, her would be lover is, is essentially a ephemeral figure that might as well not exist in the story right he reads a repo, a, a, right, sto- a right. short story he exists and, to read that short story and they yeah. like they love each other magically in what seems like almost a what seems like there's a couple times where he's just like godard's like i'm actually making a silent film now um and i'm going to cut all yeah. the sound out and i'm going to have things progress at a weird speed and like things will develop without any explanation whatsoever like oh right, like then- she met him before but now they're in love and yeah. Now they're going to run away together, and then cut because that's not really important beyond the framing of setting up why the end happens.
1: Right, and also the voiceover of the short story being read is Godard's voice. Uh, right, which is I why I know. keep it coming just... back
0: to the idea that Godard is commenting about himself. I, I, I don't right. see right. them as proper yeah. bookends. That's they're not really right. in conversation. I don't think.
1: Yeah. Right the interesting thing is that in doing that and having in Godard being the guy reading this it it feels more like uh Pierre Lafeu or or something much later like as their marriage was falling apart that sort of movie right he made. yeah I, would, I would agree about those yeah. movies I, right I,
0: that that makes sense uh
1: yeah that sort of yeah. What I was gonna so say about It's, it's it, interesting that this it's interesting that this early in their relationship is already well, is but already that's, no,
0: I agree. doing but, that sort of but thing. But like it's yeah. very clear. Okay. So the best reading I can come up with it if we don't take it as purely metatextual commentary on the film he just made. Okay. And yeah. the idea of like encasing this woman in I in 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 um, in sort of in amber here, by putting her in this film and like putting her beauty in there permanently or something like that, is the idea that the more, even more sort of base reading of it, which is she's too beautiful to live, right? Which is a theme that sort of Godard does sort of carry on. This idea that like Godard almost approaches this relationship as we see as it falls apart, especially with this sort of notion that like she's too beautiful to live and this is too beautiful to last. You know what I mean? Like t- like our ultimate enemy here is time and it will destroy You know what I mean? Like it really has a feeling that Goddard if you take this into account, the Goddard walks into this relationship saying, "Hey, this this bad boy has an expiration date on it." Like this fucker's yeah. doomed. Like and not necessarily maybe in that way of like, "Oh, I'm going to leave you after 5 years," but that sort of like that sort of like almost like again sort of a metatextual reading of like reading into his own relationship what you read into in like tra- like greek tragedies or something it's like oh the the world itself cannot sustain this beauty it can only be fleeting right it has to die it can't it can't last forever which when you when one applies to real life rather than than poetics is a fucked up thing to think about life, right? It's a fucked up thing to walk into a relationship and be like, oh, this is too beautiful to last. This shit's going to self destruct eventually because, like, it's too perfect, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you can walk in, around life with that viewpoint, but boy, you're not going to be happy. Like, you're never going to be happy. And it's never, and yeah, you've, you've doomed whatever relationship you're entering into right from the beginning because you've decided it, it can't, it can't possibly self sustain, right? Um, uh, so, like, Right. At best, it's at, I guess at best it's a metacontextual commentary on the film he made. At worst, it's a metatextual comment on the way he views his relationship with his wife. Well, are they married at the time? No, future wife or are they married? I, they get married I in think... hmm, the internet. Ha- the internet knows they get married in 1961. Yes, they are married by now. They're married married, for all the movies they make together then because every movie they make happens. Well, no, they're not married for all the movies they make. They're married for a majority of the movies they make together. They are married during this one for sure. And they are married during Le Petit Soldat too.
1: I guess then the switch is that, uh, during their divorce, uh, the anna character or the anna stand-in character murders the godard standing well, character well we and we and we've of talked about the that the other yeah, way around we, we've talked about that <laughs> in this one and that's yeah. and
0: i think that fits into this sort of pessimistic viewpoint on oh yeah absolutely uh, that, that he seems to have established right here at the very beginning that like oh this is doomed like you're going to event your our relationship's too beautiful you're too beautiful like you're going to eventually want to destroy me <laughs> and be and be free of me. Or whatever, right? But, like, I don't know, man. Like, that... I'm just saying that, that at least the Joan of Arc thing at the beginning is a sensible reference to put right. in there that establishes what the film is kind of kind of going to be like. This ending one is fucking weird at best. Right. And I prefer and, to view as a metatextual commentary on the film rather than his own marriage because <laughs> I... I think... I think I'm wrong. I think wrong, that's fine, but <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless, it, it does
1: feel better. Yeah, it doesn't um, feel as fucked up. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. And then, oh, it's the, also worth noting that he may also believe he's going to kill his wife through his art, like that. Like not only I just within this film, right. but that like he will drain her of all of all meaning hopefully, and purpose over the next five years. Hopefully, he only means metaphorically, oh, I,
1: and that the re- the relationship will come to an end because of his obsession
0: with art yeah that he will sort uh, of like maybe. essentially slowly destroy her through his art because like he will I don't know his art will somehow like drain her of life or whatever but yes. metaphorical I, I don't uh, believe he actually thinks he's going to kill her I, I, I don't see what I will say a lot of bad things about guitar I don't think he actually thought he was going to kill Anna Karina in 1962 I don't I do not believe that is true right I do not think he I, ever had intentions no. to murder her
1: no 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 certainly not and and again none of the movies he made during their uh during their divorce were about him murdering her either right no. they were about her murdering yeah, i him, mean
0: so. we 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 have commented on at least it seems like he has we, we have commented before about those films because we've watched them about how he seems to have some yeah. sense of self-awareness about exactly what's who the problem here is uh to a certain yes. extent but those were a long time ago and i might be wrong but i Remember, I don't know. having conversations about the idea that he certainly seems to be aware that that he is the problem. And but yes, this is a well, long time.
1: Though away. certainly, you're murdering me is not it's not necessarily self-awareness. No, I, I just feel like we've
0: had conversations about that before. I don't know. But I yes. might be wrong. Yes. I might be thinking. of a different I feel he's better too. in the end.
1: I don't think so. I think you're right. But uh, all right. So so the conversation with the philosopher, which mm-hmm. is around ideas of, I guess, the relationship between thought and language uh which, really feel okay. out of place uh, like
0: really super duper out of honestly, place. honestly
1: yes yes they do and i don't i don't even see
0: that no i think they're better textual again as well i think i don't art feel like comment on the nature of like filmmaking yeah. and stuff
1: again this is where i go back to the difference between reference and analysis uh that that i feel like he's referencing these things without them adding to an analysis within the film or even about the film uh I just, you know it would it would make sense given where that exists within the nature of our quotes and our monologues uh that uh, that it would be in conversation with all these things but i don't feel like the conversation maybe Goddard is beyond me. I don't feel like the conversation this movie is trying to have is about the relationship between thought and language. Goddard has shoehorned, overt, usually not very interesting uh, conversations about the nature of language into his movies before. Yeah, yeah. uh, So obviously it's a thing he thinks about,
0: and that's great my uh, suspicion and and this is sort of born out of a lot of years of having had this this pretty much the same conversation um yeah is that godard sees a parallel between the na- the relationship between language and thought i think he sees parallels between that and the relationship between sort of language and 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 film as art slash thought and film as right he sees yeah. a sort of like a continuation of that paradigm stretched out to like, well, okay, if, if language and art and language and expression, like verbal expression can't be separated, mind you, we don't need to get into whether or not that's right or wrong, but yeah. Um, well, but the, like the interesting thing is can extend it further out or something to that effect.
1: Right. Right. The interesting thing is that the, the, the anecdote that the philosopher starts with is actually about the relationship between thought and action. Right. Right. And that, and that's something I can, I can get into with the rest of the film. Uh, but his his uh, his recounting of the death of Porthos in the three musketeers, one is very good because he he uh, accurately, I believe uh, uh, points to Porthos as a himbo right as a as a man who never had never had a thought in his head in his entire life. just a big, strong, beautiful man. Um, and the story is that it was his job to set these explosives in a cellar, and as he was running away from the bomb after lighting it, uh, he forgot how to run. He just got in his own head about uh, what it means to put one foot in front of another and completely fell apart. And I don't know how that plays out in the actual story. Uh, I don't know even if that's an accurate reference to The Three as I've never read The Musketeers,
0: and and I don't don't know.
1: Yes, much like... (laughs) Much like Nana in the film, uh, I've seen movies, uh, but the closest I've come to reading the Three Musketeers was a
0: young children's. Uh, oh man, we've all read that. But like, I mean, was... yes, those are basically the movies <laughs> yeah. too. And like, frankly, right, right. I don't even remember those. I know nothing about. I I have definitely watched movies about the Three Musketeers. I've definitely, I have definitely. Read those children's books. I have no functional memories of anything Three Musketeers related whatsoever, except for the right, fact right. that the dog on Star Trek Enterprise is named Porthos. There you go. That's the only. And thing it is I also know. a
1: himbo. Uh, that that dog has never had a thought in his. Well, entire it life. tracks.
0: It's actually uh, a fairly apt name for the dog. Yes, he's not. Yes, a, he's not absolutely. a big, strong, burly man, but he is a he is a dog, and as a dog. Is primarily concerned with things that are not thinking. Yes. So. Uh,
1: yeah. So I don't know. Uh, and her response to that is, "Is why are you telling me about these depressing things? Because her only focus is on Portho's death, not on what the man is actually saying about Portho's life. Um, and then he gets his big, long diatribe that's sort of just shoehorned in. Uh it turns out actually, uh, do you remember in uh My Night at Maud, the uh the movie where they end up talking about Pascal's wager? Y- yes, uh, I do way too much, I remember a long time ago. A, um, yeah,
0: I, I remember some men sitting in chairs talking about Pascal's yeah. wager. I do. Uh
1: so so apparently a lot of that Pascal's wager conversation is cribbed from this philosopher. <laughs> Okay, um, and a and a and a conversation he had on with someone, a debate he had with someone on a on a television show, I guess. Uh so so it just you know he he's popped up elsewhere, I guess he's not actually in uh, one night at mods, but uh, but the conversation is in reference to him. So I don't know, you know that doesn't I don't want to start talking about how we hate Pascal's wager again, so we won't do that, no. but.
0: Uh, (laughs) Unnecessary, especially now since it's not referenced here. Yeah, Um, right. We can talk Uh, about the next time somebody brings it up in a movie. It will happen. There we go. Guarantee. It will happen.
1: Um, Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this I don't know. Uh, The philosophers. I'm very much in Anna's point of view during that conversation, where I'm not entirely sure why he's. Well, I mean, even he
0: says. After she says that, he says, "I don't know. I just wanted to talk," which I think is right, right, kind right, of funny. Right. Yeah, I mean, which, which is, doesn't stop which him, very... but he does, does just point out that he just right. wants to have which a conversation. Is, which is perhaps Godard is most self
1: aware in this movie, right? Uh.
0: <laughs> but I don't think it's self awareness. I don't. I really don't. I don't think it is. But Do you
1: just think it's the joke for the jokes. That... Yeah, I think
0: so, probably, or maybe even something That's... pointed out by may. This may be truly actual ad, like to a certain extent, ad lib dialogue. <laughs> This may be maybe, the like maybe. the philosopher himself being like, I don't know, you guys asked me to talk about something. So I just picked a yeah. thing that I've been thinking about recently. But yes, you bring up the fact that like Godard does seem obsessed with the idea of like the relationship between thought and language. Um yeah. so I I probably not. But so Godard may have just been like, I really want to hear you talk about I want you talking about this thing I'm interested in my movie. Much much like perhaps having something to do in relationship with like what we talked about with the Edgar Allan Poe stuff the idea that to a certain extent Godard's movies represent Godard trying to crystallize things he thinks are great into some permanent form that he can like possess right like his films especially these ones seem to be A sort of distillation and then like freezing of the things he cares about or thinks about or loves or not even love. I don't know about loves, but like the things for which he has some passion trying to like permanently encase them and keep them like saved whole cloth for all eternity. You know what I mean? Like which would include this, I mean, especially with his desire to do things as homage, right? Like constantly as homage, right? This sort of idea that, like, I need to take all these things I love, put them in a box, and I need to seal that, this, like, clear, like, this glass box for all time and put it up on my shelf, right? Like, all the references to Dreyer, all the references to films I love, all this this woman that I have a passion for, this philosopher that I care about who says things I think are interesting. All these things kind of frozen in time in this permanent thing that's his forever
1: yeah so my only my only thought there is that there is Godard makes multiple movies right yeah and each movie contains a different set of those influences so in in making different sets of those influences he that suggests that he believes there is a a connection between the ones he puts in in the individual set
0: I don't know about that. I mean, have you ever met a collector? Uh, that's fair. I mean, that's like, <laughs> in all seriousness, if if his if, if some of his motivation comes from the same thing that drives people like me and lots of the I'm not as bad as other people, but like collectors, this sort of like I ne- my collection can never be complete. I need to continue to put the things that I that I have passion for into these boxes. They I need to keep building these boxes of things. That I have, and and because you as a person continue to progress, so like the things you decide now you have a passion for are derived from the things you had passion for before, but they're not the th- yeah. same, right? Like you know, like one collection leads to another. I you know the collectors I've known, especially the really the really over the top ones, move from collection to collection, right? They build this one collection to the extent that they're capable of, and then they move on to this other thing, and and it's. It's a more of a passion for collecting than it is a passion for. this. Well, I mean, it's collection. It's a passion for the things and for the the act of collecting, right? And I yeah. think Godard, to a certain and I extent, think, has that.
1: I think you're probably right, and and uh, and I'll say that, in context of the most recent Godard film I've ever seen, uh, which is Goodbye to Language. I mean, the most recently made Godard film I've ever seen. Um, he has made stuff since then, I believe, but I have not watched it. Uh, but when I saw Goodbye for Language, one thing that struck me is a very visually striking movie. And I thought his his playing with 3D was was an interesting thing. But I thought also that that was wholly disconnected from what he was doing with the words in the movie, which were like just dozens of quotes right, presented as if they were in conversation with a, one another. But, but just, you know, back and, back and forth single sentence quotes from dozens of different people uh, is, is more in line with Godard's deconstruction of language than, and of course the movie is called Goodbye to Language. Uh, but we've seen that sort of deconstructing us relationship to language and, and words have no meaning sorts of things. And, you know, you've said that yourself. Multiple times this episode, but, but uh, uh, yeah, that's just so much, so much of, so much of Godard's relationship to that language is, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's appropriately mid-century French philosophy relationship to language. You know, this is a time before uh, linguistic philosophy really came into its own with, with people like Chomsky and, and. Uh, right,
0: yeah. I mean, it is. It is very. It is very. A lot of stuff based on very classical understandings of philosophy of ling- like philosophies as it relates to language, and also just sort of linguistics at yeah. large. Um, as a lot of the directors we do interact with through this have a very. By the time you know we're seeing movies that they're making, but like I've always gotten this impression, and it's been kind of magnified recently that like. Movie makers are always a, at minimum a few decades behind where like actual sort of academia falls on the things that they're talking about, right? Because by the time it filters down to them, it's been two decades, three decades, five decades. And and that sort of makes, yeah. becomes a hallmark of filmmaking, right? Like filmmakers want to comment on this stuff, but they're very rarely like cutting edge, right? Because they're not like attending philosophy symposiums or or – I mean I'm not – that is not fair. I I have not seen every movie. I don't know every director. I'm sure there are quite a few directors who are like super into the scene that they're actually like making movies about, and their films are like way like on the cutting edge. But as far as popular cinema is concerned, as far like popular cinema as as we understand it through the Criterion Collection, and not like Marvel or whatever, right? Right. Which seems very has to have very little interest in engaging with like modern philosoph philosophical concepts and stuff like that, right? Um but like what I mean well, sir, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say certainly not because the, the the philosophy of uh of Marvel movies is at best reactionary. Right. Well at best. At best. Out of date at worst reaction, right? Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. Like, I just—I always assume that, that the just, philosophy of you know,
0: Marvel is, "Hey, wouldn't a glowing circle be pretty cool?" Um, and what if someone well, flew okay. into it?
1: Um, fair, but the whole Thanos thing is about right, yes, yeah, how Malthusian, yeah. Malthusian. <laughs> is bad without actually explaining why it's bad or giving any alternatives. Right, right, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, but, totally. But it is bad because it would require murder. So, But, yeah, like, but I yeah. mean, my, anyway.
0: but, but to go back to my point, like, I mean, like, my, my the point I'm trying to get at is that, like, time and time again I run into this sort of we, – we run into this sort of concept of, like, movies just being kind of behind the curve for, like, yeah. modern thinking – as far as, like, where modern thought is, not necessarily where modern pop pop thought is, right? Like, movies tend to be in line yeah. with pop thought, right? Like, pop philosophy, pop psychology. They always tend to be very in line with that, which always tends to be multiple decades behind where, like, people doing work in X field are, right? Um yeah. And sometimes they just decide to never go back, right? Like, sometimes they never go back to the well, right? right. Which is why we keep getting or, 10% of our brain movies for all eternity. Right, right. Like, we, right. Will, just, we will be having 10% of our yeah. brain movies in the year 2225, 20 I swear to God.
1: somebody right, said right.
0: Somebody wrote one thing down one time, was wrong, or whatever, and, like, here we are. We're stuck with this movie concept for all eternity.
1: But uh, but once you can use 100% of your brain, you can also fly, Pat, and that's can pretty fly. cool. I so. mean,
0: I don't know which one you're referencing because it, it there's so many. <laughs> there's probably like a dozen. I mean, I assume it turns uh, you into a robot, right? Because I think that's what happens in Lucy. I can't remember anymore. I think she becomes a machine <gasps> at some point. I don't know, man. Doesn't she end up flying in Lucy She tooth? might. I don't, I don't remember. remember. I saw it on an airplane. I was I very really, sleepy. Yeah,
1: that was. Well, you were flying. So I was flying, so it gets I'm a confused. little confusing, right? I will say, Godard maybe tries to not be so far behind by having an alive, active philosopher right. in his movie, but it's also a very old man. Who was born in 1897. Right, who is presumably uh, also is, behind
0: the times to a certain extent with regards to philosophy. Right. I have to assume. Because i Who's who the only many... other.
1: His English Wikipedia page names that he was a French philosopher and his birth and death, and then mentions that he was in vis a vis and the Romare thing I already mentioned. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, about my night at mods. And that's all the information on his English Wikipedia page. Obviously, his French Wikipedia page is a little more in depth. But uh makes sense but given given that that touchstone is a conversation on Pascal's wager i don't know it seemed out of place with romare but maybe given given romare's position within the cahiers, cahiers du cinema guys uh perhaps uh the fact that uh romare seems to have really liked the guy or thought he had interesting things to say is one reason that Godard thinks that yeah he maybe has interesting yeah to totally say. I get
0: what you're saying, and it's and it's also worth noting that like, Romero seems to be obsessed with the idea uh in there when, when when doing that sort of stuff that that is sort of, Pascal, wager tends to float around in pop philosophy, he, yeah he is he is the ten percent of your brain of, religious philosophy. In in the sense that like he just kind of is, it's kind of perennial, right? Like just that 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 conversation, every has happened in every college dorm room since it since he wrote it, right? Basically, it like it happens every time, right? It's it's perennial, right? It's and so to that extent, it's always in the pop psyche, right? Like it 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 infiltrated into sort of pop understanding of of religion and that sort of stuff hard enough that we'll just never lose it. Well, it'll always be there. People will be on fucking, I don't know, it'll be the post-apocalypse. We'll all be living in huts or whatever, and I don't know, eating lizards. I don't know what the plan is. Uh, and we'll be talking about Pascal's Wager for some reason. Right, right, right. It will well, be this us, will I... be dead, but it'll be the equivalent yeah. of college freshmen in huts. <laughs> whatever the equivalent, this post-apocalyptic right. uh, equivalent is, um, having a conversation about Pascal's Wager.
1: Well, Perain, he was still actively writing at the time. But this is also a guy whose first publication was 1934, right? And, and again, uh, <laughs> you know, not full, to be a full thirty years before the movie. Right. I but mean,
0: it, it, we have to be careful. We don't want to be ageist or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, also, like you know, this is a movie from a at this point a very long time ago, and so, yeah, it might be the the he the had... working philosophy of the time, right? It could be. I don't, I don't right. really know.
1: He had published in 1960 and in 62 and would publish again in 64, two books in 66, 69, uh, and then it looks like uh, collected works after that. But, um, yeah. And uh, his last published work in 69 is called "The Metafi- Little Metaphysics of Speech, uh, which definitely seems like it's at least in Godard's... Uh, right.
0: Uh, but but you are also wheelhouse. right to say that it does feel like it is behind people who are coming into yeah. their own in the same sort of field at this time, right? Right, 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 right. Like people we yeah. now think of but, as sort yeah. of like at, well who people at, who at this point are bu- essentially behind the curve, but like whatever. It's
1: Oh man. The re- the rest of his book titles, at least the f- the translations into English I am getting, uh are so on point for mid-century French philosophy right. <laughs> uh, essay on platonic logos uh, the embarrassment of choice the death of Socrates uh, in 1953 he just he he released a book just called on dialectics uh, it's I don't know I mean every every single published philosopher probably has a piece called on dialectics so right yeah. you know and that's not not a problem that's you know it's just also not surprising, so um, but but yeah, anyway, uh even thumbing through his French uh Wikipedia page, i'm not uh I'm not super clear on uh what his philosophy is uh well and that and that's the thing right
0: is that this one this movie, if we to bring it back to this movie, does not elucidate that for us, yeah, I don't know at the end of this right. movie. At the end of his bit, what his deal is, right, because he mostly seems to be throwing out sort of philosophical like sort of anecdotes basically uh so I'm not really clear on that
1: either yeah he's a he's a communist, so we've got that going for him
0: well i mean all that, all right thinking humans are, so whatever right, right I mean good for him i'm glad <laughs> glad to hear it, but right, yeah. <laughs> Like, he's, I'd, I'd he's, be much more upset to find out it was not the case than it is the case, if I guess listen, that makes sense.
1: I, as far as I'm concerned, this guy's my new favorite mid-century French philosopher. <laughs> oh, fantastic, right? Uh, Put him on a list. because he He's the best. He was a communist, and I don't have anything about him denigrating women.
0: Right, uh, and we know so little or, about him. Or his being philosophy. vaguely racist. Or, right. Uh, we yeah. know so little about him and his philosophy. He is the perfect blank slate. A communist yeah. about whom we know nothing.
1: <laughs> right, right. The it's ideal right? He can be he can be whatever I want him to be right. as I approach him. Uh
0: yeah. As I carefully uh, avoid good. learning anything about him.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Uh anyway. Yeah. So okay. Um I don't know that I have a lot of say. No, else I mean I feel like we really kind of ran I,
0: Godard's work yeah. into the ground here. I'm more interested this. I I am more interested in this than the other works that surround this in his right history because we've seen we've seen a fair bit of them, and I frankly found them not particularly inspiring. Right, right. I know this one has things going for it, but I also agree that it is kind of it feels somewhat haphazard. Right, it feels it feels not I, fully formed in a lot of ways. I really think maybe the
1: commentary and that, that, uh, that Norbani uh, uh, bonus piece really plays into this. The commentary about this movie, about Godard approaching this as ideas of, of the relationship between thought and language. I think textually we have so much more about the relationship of thought to action. Then then I I suspect that they're not differentiating and, there.
0: I I I think that other quote about Godard not doing a little research might be it. might be at fault here. Um, I maybe because I am, it because even even like language in the is frankly scene, not very have, important in this movie. Language doesn't play a defining role in this
1: right. film. No, no, and we we get plenty of that elsewhere with Godard. Right. Yes, no. but no. I don't think that really has a defining role in this film. Well, you're I, right I think because he, even go ahead. I would say even in even in the scene where she shot to death, that that final scene, uh, when the first gangster pulls out his gun to threaten them, uh, he says to the other gangster, "You shoot. I forgot to load." Yeah. Which one is a funny line, but it's also about the relationship of thought to action. Uh, right. So,
0: <laughs> well, that's that's the thing is that like I I think the problem we run into, and this is true of other famous directors, I think. There is a tendency, and we are very guilty of this. Keep in mind, we are not innocent. Yes. There's a tendency to <laughs> compile. We, we Every commentary we make about any commentator is is always equally true about us. But yeah. I think there's a tendency among film, com, among the sort of commentariat of, of film, and, and also literature and other things like that, to... Take the body of the work of the person and have a very difficult time once they're too familiar with the artist to separate out the themes that define individual elements in that oeuvre from the themes that the that sort of define the the artist as a whole. So I right, think to a certain right. extent what we're dealing is, with is is this uh, uh, what's his name Narini? Is that what his yeah. name is? Uh, kind of to a certain Something extent like falling that. into that trap, right? He's sort of filtering things he knows about Godard writ large back into this film, even though it maybe doesn't have that much as, as much of a place here.
1: Right. And it's, it's maybe interesting. I don't want to absolve us of doing this with Godard. We certainly do this with people like the I mean, we've done it. Uh, we, I mean, so, I literally I did it in this episode and, talking and about Godard's right. relationship and we to women. Absolutely I mean, done it with Godard, yeah. but, but it is also maybe, uh, it is something at least, at least in, in our breadth of Godard, Mm. We have learned to reference. Uh, we've learned that Godard exists in sort of pockets, right? And we 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 understand the borders of those pockets of when Godard really starts to change who he is, and it's early sixty eight, right? Uh, yeah. With the with the rising political tensions within uh, within France, even late actually, You know, where yeah. we,
0: we we made references right. to the idea in in some obviously people are people and he takes time and he slowly yeah. develops his ideas and stuff like that. And and I do think we have tried to do that with some of the other directors. I mean, I do think we have identified stages in Fellini. We are just not particularly yeah. interested in any of Fellini's stages. <laughs> right. We have right. definitely That's identified where, where Fellini makes shifts in his sort of self-conception. They're just not. Yeah. What makes Godard interesting is we have a period of Godard where we like where he's going with it. Uh, right which right, makes right, him right, right. makes it even a little bit yeah. harder to deal with some of the older stuff because you're like oh you're not you're not you're not that Godard yet are you um
1: Godard is just really fun for being a 37 year old who discovers communism and starts complaining about how all of his friends are bourgeois yeah uh, yeah well, yes a, 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 I like a
0: that. worthwhile a, a very rich 37 year old or whatever right <laughs> like
1: yes 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 a well-established, famous 37 year old. Yes, uh,
0: its it, it but like <laughs> hey as we said with like Tabbiene and all those it's like hey but that I, I'll take that any day over 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 what it right. could be, right? Um, right, right, yeah. right. Absolutely. Uh
1: Well, yes. This vis-a-vis, uh it is a lovely film Godard is doing visually interesting things for filmmaking with it. Uh but that is true for a lot of godard films where i'm not in really interested or even able to connect for what he seems to believe he's doing right philosophically yeah. Yeah. with the movie uh yeah next week we'll be talking about uh olivier Assayas' is summer hours uh from 2008 but this week we've we'll been talking about vive se vie film un dose tableau My life to live, uh, or it's my life. It also gets an English translation. Um, But anyway, Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. We didn't talk about that title, "My Life to Live." Also, that that's reflective in her. Everything is my choice. I mean, I feel like that's the thesis statement of the film, and that's. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. So maybe the fact that that is. Yeah, the fact that that is the title. You're probably. Pretty spot on that. That's really the thesis we're taking at, which is, I guess, in as in conversation, in as much as it is in contrast uh, and and direct conflict with some of the things that actually happen in the movie and other stuff that it's referencing. Well, and I suppose I guess
0: the thing we didn't talk about, but like I guess you could throw out there really quick, is the idea that like that that sort of like very very old hat philosophical notion of like the freedom to make choices comes with an inherent danger that you will make wrong choices or whatever or something like that as well. But it's kind of sort of implicit in the title as well. Right. So.
1: right. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening to Lost and Criterion. I am as always on Glass with me as always, John Patrick, Otari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at JPatrickDorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.